Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. Hello, Tevia. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here today. Thank you for having me. I am too. Very excited. Tevia is a very dear friend of mine. We have known each other for 10 years now here in Panama. When I first moved down here 10 years ago, we taught together, we lived together for a couple months, and she is just an incredible teacher. She has so much experience teaching internationally that I had to have her on here and share more about really just creating a culture of, you know, working with students from all around and creating the atmosphere in the classroom where they all feel welcomed, accepted, and really grow in their learning and their language. I've seen that over and over in your classroom every year, despite, you know, just regardless of what cultures are represented, they all really feel welcomed and they make so much progress when they're, when they're with you. So I wanted to have you on to share today of more about that. And we're going to really hone in on a new topic. The hot topic is translanguaging. So I'm super excited to get to that and hear more about what that means. So why don't you start with sharing a little bit about your educational journey experience and what you're doing right now? Okay. Well, my journey really began in the fall of 2001. I had just taken a sabbatical year and I was planning on pursuing nursing. So, but my mom said, you know, you're going to need a job. <laughs> like, you can't just live at home and not have a job. So she said, there's a teacher's assistant position open at the school where I teach and you don't need any experience. You're great with kids. You've done, you know, summer camps and whatnot. And she just said, you know, just be aware that you might fall in love with teaching. She was a second generation teacher and I, I kind of didn't buy it. You know, I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I knew I loved to help people. 
and that was kind of the extent of it. But it's true. About two, two, three months into being this teacher's assistant and working with third graders, I was like, wow, this is a really satisfying and gratifying profession. And I love my colleagues in the school. And so it just kind of, I, I basically decided I'm not going to pursue nursing. I'm going to put myself through night school. And at that point, that was my decision. But then, of course, there was budget cuts. The school was brand new and and they didn't have the money that they thought they, they were going to get. And so basically, I just, you know, just like Gideon puts a fleece out before God, I basically said, Lord, if this is what you want for my life, and this is the path that you have ordained for me, then I will not lose my job. And I didn't. I, I, uh, they, they let nine people go that year and in the middle of the school year. And my boss pulled me in and she just said, you're doing a great job. We're going to keep you. We love you. We love having you here. And yeah, so that was for me, it was the sign that, that God had his hand on me, on my life and was ready to guide me down, you know, the path of teaching. So I put myself through school at night and I worked at that school for nine years before I decided that I really wanted to teach abroad. I really wanted to get out of the United States. I wanted to learn a second language if possible. I, I wanted to try something new. And so I started, I, I got my TEFL certi- certificate. And from there, I just basically took a risk. I moved to Panama on a one-way ticket. <laughs> my best friend growing up was Panamanian. And she said, Teddy, you need to take a leap of faith. So I did. And, you know, series of events. And I, I found out about the school where I work currently, the Met, and got got a job there. From after that, I, I moved. I was at the Met for two years. And then I moved to the Middle East to try my, my luck in a different, completely different culture, different place, and see how it was. And I just really missed Panama. I liked that school. I liked the experience of being in the Middle East, you know, so so much diversity there, but I really miss Panama. So I came back and I've been here ever since. Now I'm married to a Panamanian. Along the way, I got my master's degree in international teaching. I also lead workshops and visit schools for the International Baccalaureate, which is a really great kind of side gig of getting to travel, but also see what other schools are doing. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's a great learning opportunity to see, like, how are people practicing this approach to teaching and learning? And so I have found that very, very satisfying over the years. Yeah, we're expecting a baby. We bought a house. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. I've started as a teacher's assistant teaching third grade or assisting in the third grade class and then kind of taught all the way up into secondary 12th grade and assisted in classrooms like that. And then when I moved abroad, I started teaching third grade and I've kind of bounced around in upper elementary and now I teach fifth. Awesome. What a cool journey. And it's it's still in the process. I can't wait to hear more where where your story goes. (laughs) So something that I just love and admire about you is the way that you create an atmosphere in your classroom for all students to really feel welcomed. I think you 
are so good at setting high expectations, but helping all your students get there and encouraging them along the way. So why don't you share a little bit more about, you know, what you do to kind of create that atmosphere in your classroom, because you have worked with students from all over the world. And it seems to be common every year that you create that atmosphere. I thought a lot about this question and it's kind of not like one particular thing. I think my desire to have a safe classroom really stems from my experience of not having one as a young student. I went to a, a private religious school growing up and sometimes those kinds of places can become, not always, but sometimes this one was kind of stagnant in their approach to understanding children. And I was a sensitive girl. I struggled a lot academically. I I didn't understand myself very well. And there wasn't really ever anybody to help me do that. Just because I think, you know, nowadays we, we've studied, you know, psychology is an important part of of understanding classroom environments and students and how they learn and understanding the human experience. But I think in the, in the 80s and the 90s, especially in a stagnant place like the school I attended, it wasn't really like you just basically you sit in your chair and you copy what's on the board and then you regurgitate it in some way, usually on paper. And what happens on the playground isn't really something that adults interfere with. What happens in a social context isn't something that people really concern themselves with from from a maybe a teacher's perspective. And that is exactly what my experience was. So as an adult, as somebody who works with kids now, I understand that before learning can happen, safety has to be something that everybody feels. Whether it's safety in your learning and being wrong. So for me, that looks like modeling growth mindsets and having a growth mindset and encouraging my students to use the language and practice that kind of metacognition. Or it's, you know, their social interactions. And how can we be a better friend? Would you like someone to say that to you? (laughs) You know, that sort of like, turning it back towards being empathetic and how can we treat others the way that we want to be treated? How can we all contribute to this being a safe learning space? And I understand that that has to happen before learning can happen. And so I do whatever I can. That a lot of times from a very practical standpoint might be something like responsive classroom approach where, you know, we, actually take time away from the academic part and we just sit and we socialize and we build friendships and we talk about what's hard for us. We talk about what's easy. We talk about how, you know, our day was. Or for me, it's also just listening, listening to kids. Every little thing, you know, when when something bothered me when I was little, I couldn't guarantee that that adult would take me seriously or believe that I was having an actual problem or be willing to even help me. So when somebody says, you know, this happened and I didn't feel comfortable as an adult listening to that and say, okay, I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of that. Those are the things that I think are, are integral to my practice in keeping in helping foster a safe classroom environment. 
Oh, that's so good. So good. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, yeah, a lot of times at the beginning of the year, we, you know, place a priority on that, getting to know our students, helping them feel safe. But I think to your point, it's really a constant routine throughout the whole year of just listening in to your students, taking the time to make space for those conversations. And that's going to, you might take some more time and less academic time, but in the end, they're going to learn more and learn faster because they feel safe and they feel that they're in a welcoming environment. So, so they know they can trust me. Exactly. That actually does care about them. Yep. We all need that, even when we're adults. Right? Yeah, it's true. We never stop needing that. No, really no. true. All right. So we're going to dive in to this topic that you know I'm hearing more and more about called translanguaging. So why don't you start with just sharing a little bit more about what that is? Okay. So, well, before I tell you what it is, I want to say I'm not by any means an expert. It's something that I, I learned about when I was getting my master's degree, it really caught my attention for a couple of reasons. And I wanted to know more about it. I wanted to practice it in my classroom. And as a result, it's been something that whenever I've had a professional development opportunity, I've tried to kind of like dive in a little bit more. I've downloaded some of the materials and tried to kind of wrap my head around how it works. So I'm not an expert, but it is something that I do feel from a professional standpoint, kind of passionate about. Well, translanguaging, first of all, trans we, we probably all know that that means going beyond. So translanguaging really has, it refers to two things. The first is the idea that our bilingual or our multilingual speakers really have just a single or unitary linguistic competence. Basically, I think of it like one box versus two boxes. So when you think about a bilingual student, you think, oh, she speaks English and she speaks Spanish. But really, translanguaging is the idea that she has those languages and those exist in one box. That she uses them interconnectedly, bounces back and forth. So that's the first idea that translanguaging refers to. The second is that there's a behavior that bilingual or multilingual speakers have, and that is that they are constantly using their language repertoire as a whole rather than just as like, I only use English here, and this is my English, and this is my Spanish. But actually, the, the, the connections in the brain and all the things that are happening when they are using those languages are united. And that is something that personally, I, as I've learned more Spanish, I kind of understand that there's some words, for example, when I'm talking to my husband, that just describe the situation better. Or, you know, like, I think bastante describes something in a much better way than saying a lot or many. Or maybe I just like using that word better. So that's, that's kind of the idea around translanguaging. The uh, pedagogy of translanguaging is, well, there's several people out, out there, not out there, there's several <laughs> philosophers, researchers theorists who who have really studied and defined all of this. One of them is Ophelia Garcia. She originates from New York somewhere. Her, her first language is Spanish, and she has a team of researchers. They've written lots of books, lots of manuals and things. But she basically defines the pedagogy of translanguaging 
as building on students' language practices flexibly in order to develop new understanding and new language practices. So rather than seeing self as someone who's teaching a language, it's really more of like, how can I understand how you use language and build on that? And so it's language really removing the, car, the compartmentalizing of languages. Like, okay, in this, you speak English. Now you speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. When you go home, you can speak Spanish. You know, I'm really just kind yeah, of setting exactly. up these boundaries. Like, here's, here it is. Like, don't, don't try to move that, you know, which sadly is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not exactly how a language learner uses language. Because when you, for example, code switching or translating, when you hear something, you automatically put it in language that you understand. But as people are acquiring language, they are always looking for that connection. And so you're going beyond just the language. You're looking at how is this connected? How, how does this connect to what I already know? And so there's a lot. It's very fascinating what that looks like. In practice, translanguaging is to make use of one's repertoire, your language repertoire, without the consideration of boundaries or constraints. So I think of this as like when I'm with my my bilingual friends, they tend to gravitate towards what so many people call Spanglish, where, you know, their their conversation is peppered with words from and we see that here actually in Panama a lot, right? Where there's so many, there's so much of the American influence that you, you hear words that are pronounced even very clearly in English that there is, there is a Spanish word for, but people just don't use it. And so that's kind of what translanguaging looks and sounds like when you're for someone who is translanguaging. They are. Maybe you don't understand every word that they're saying, but they don't feel like they have to stick to just one language. They are actually using all of the language repertoire that they have. That's amazing. <laughs> Languages are yeah, so amazing. Right? Oh, <laughs> I find cool. it so, it's really, this is kind of a cute story. My four-year-old, Juliana, she'll, she constantly says things in both languages and then she'll say which language is that, mom? What, what language are you speaking right now? <laughs> she she really doesn't have an understanding of what's English, what's Spanish. She'll just say things. She's like, yeah, that language. Okay, my friends speak that language. Yeah. And okay, what language? Yeah. Speak? So it's just really cute because she kind of always... Languaging. She goes in both languages all the time. She's really, really amazing yeah. at her skills. And she, is exactly she doesn't know what she's speaking. Example. <laughs> she's, she's totally translanguaging. She's yeah. totally doing that. She has no, there's no boundaries. Yeah, there's no boundaries. Yep. It's okay to use those words. And you don't have to know exactly what, I mean, you probably do, but you you don't have to know what she's saying. You just know that's not an English word. (laughs) Yeah. And it's cool because they, you know, being at a bilingual school, it's very welcomed there that they, they use both languages freely because they have an English teacher. They have a Spanish teacher. So it's a really beautiful environment that it's welcome to not have, you know, this, oh, we only speak English during this. So we'll get into that of what this practically looks like because yes. it is. And and I think we will find that it will go back. It will connect back to what we were talking about as far as creating a safe environment. Yes, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. You know, this, the next question I had for you is how does this benefit our students? And I think it's pretty clear of how this really helps our second language learners or, you know, some are 
this is their third or fourth language, just really be able to have that freedom to use their languages as they learn new content, as it supports their learning. Do you want to expand on that at all? Yeah, definitely. So, so first of all, in order for translanguaging to really be like something that happens in the classroom, it means that the teacher has shifted the learning to be student-centered, that the student is at the center. So, and that is really tricky. I know, especially if you're in the U.S., you have your standards, you have your, you have the the test that you have to do. And so it is a, it is heavy, heavy, heavy content. But if your approach to your teaching and your learning is with the student in mind, and you cater, you design your teaching and learning around that, then what translanguaging really does is it allows learners to understand and communicate about subject content. So there, yeah, there's a little bit of translating, but what happens is because they can access content in their, in their first language, especially if they're, if they can read, or they can speak, then they understand. Maybe they don't have the words in the language that you communicate in, but they do understand it because the they maybe they already have that concept. They already understand that concept. So that's the first thing. It's it makes content or subject area content accessible. The second is that it improves English proficiency because they can make connections between their home language and English. Really, it kind of goes back to what we know about, like, if you if you came directly from Mexico in fifth grade, and you've already learned all these math concepts and all this stuff about, you know, I don't know, history or whatever. Really, when you get to the United States, and you're in an English speaking school, you just need the vocabulary, you just need to know that this word, it means this. So your transfer skills are much smoother. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other thing that I think is really cool about translanguaging when you're, uh, when you, when students are allowed to look at both the, maybe the language of instruction and then their home language, then you're allowed to make comparisons and and see connections between how languages are used. And that helps kids actually maybe reduce the number of errors when they're speaking because they understand that in Spanish, we form our sentences like this, but in English, we put the direct object here instead of here because they've learned the nuances between those two languages. So I think rather than, you know, just like a, a grammar class where you're, this is how we do it in English and that's it. If they're allowed to compare, then it really helps them. That helps me as a learner. I don't know about you. I can see the, the connections and the difference. This is something that maybe a lot of teachers don't care about. I do. I think it's really important. Translanguaging allows for the development of more than one language. Let's say one of the strategies in a case study that I saw was this teacher was teaching about social injustice. It's a middle school a classroom, and he had, I don't know, like five or six languages in his classroom, and one of them was Arabic. He had sent home like a little excerpt about something that was ha- that had happened in the U.S. history, and it was in Arabic. It had been translated, and the child went home and talked to his Syrian parents about this thing. They read it together in Arabic, and they understood it. And then they came. He came back to class, 
and was talking about it. And it made an incredible connection to the social injustice of their own country. But as a result, that child came away with a lot more understanding, not only of their own culture and their own history in Syria, but also a lot more Arabic vocabulary, words they didn't know, people they didn't know about. And I thought that's really remarkable. So not only is this child through conversations at home able to connect with their parents and their parents' experience in Syria and things that had happened there, but then also learn about things that are really similar in the United States. Very, very cool. And expanded their understanding of social injustice. So, so multifaceted and really, really deep learning that I think impacts, impacts students. So that's one. Another one is something that I experienced. Well, the last two are kind of things that I experienced when I was practicing translanguaging. And that was, especially if you have in your classroom, maybe two or more speakers of same mother tongue. So I'm thinking of one, the, the year that I was learning about this, I had five Portuguese speakers in my class that year. They were all fluent in Portuguese. They were reading literature at home in Portuguese. And they, were, they had at least one parent that they were regularly speaking with in Portuguese. And they, they weren't necessarily friends. You know, they had, their, they had their friend groups. But because I was strategically allowing them, if they wanted, to, to be grouped and speak in Portuguese class, they were forming friendship of like, like language friends. And it, it really strengthened the, the environment in my classroom as far as friendships went because they saw each other as like, this is, my, this is my academic friend. This is somebody that I can talk to. And I think that's really special that maybe wouldn't, wouldn't always help kids connect. So they were connecting through their... The other thing is for me, I think probably because of things I've already shared about like my experience in school, translanguaging, one of the benefits is, is it, it preserves the learner's identity. When you have a classroom where no one is allowed to speak in any other language except this one, you really, really limit a child's ability to express themselves, to talk to others, to engage in the content and the learning and even, you know, connect with you. But when they're allowed to use their language repertoire, then it, can, it changes considerably how they, how they feel in a, in a space. And I think this was most powerfully demonstrated with a student that I'll just call Jay. So Jay, Jay started in third grade with me and his second grade teacher kind of told me, you just need to know that like, he's not, he's not an ELL. He doesn't qualify for the ELL services, but he also doesn't qualify for the special needs services. But there is something there, something, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. And so when I met with the parents at the beginning of the year, I always like to do that. I asked them all about it. She said, well, we're, we just did a psychoeducational evaluation for him. And so I'll let you know what the results are. And then when the results came back, they were atypical. Basically, we don't 
we don't know what the deal is here. He might be attention deficit. He might have some executive functioning. They just didn't know. They did not know. It was kind of like a giant question mark over his head. (laughs) At least that's kind of how I saw him. Like, what is the deal? There was, there was, you know, as a teacher, you always want to try to find like, what is this kid good at? Good at? Like, let's at least find that thing. He was very athletic. He was kind of good at math, but not really. You know, some things there was like some gaps. So I started learning about translanguaging that spring, end of winter, basically. And one of the things I started allowing my students to do that year, I think I mentioned that I had five Portuguese speakers. He was a Portuguese, native Portuguese speaker. So I allowed them to sit together and have discussions. So whenever we were exploring content or reading something, they were allowed to sit and and talk about it in Portuguese. And his face just lit up when I said, you're allowed to, to talk in Portuguese. Like when we have a conversation as a class, we should use our common language so that everybody can understand what's being said. But you as a group can make sense of it in Portuguese. So I had a Portuguese group. I think I had two French speakers that year. And then I had uh, my Spanish speakers and my English speakers. And some of my bilingual students wanted to just have conversations in English. And some of them wanted to have conversations in Spanish. And I didn't really care. I just said, whatever you feel comfortable with. So Jay always chose his Portuguese group. And there was one particular day when we were, we were looking, because we're in Ivy school, we have our six units and each unit has like a central idea. So that central idea is just one sentence that guides the direction of our learning. And at the beginning of a unit, we always kind of try to make sense of that, of that central idea. And so I had it up on the board and I said, okay, let's talk in our groups about what we think this means. And he had a real breakthrough during that conversation. You know, there was one word, I think the word was distribute, and no one could figure out like what it really meant because they're third graders. They, that was a new vocabulary word for them. So, the, you know, Spanish speakers were like, well, it could be this, it could be this. The Portuguese speakers, they were like, I don't really know. Until Jay raised his hand and he said, well, it reminds me of this Portuguese word that means to pass out, to, to share amongst. And then a Spanish speaker was like, oh, like destruir or, you know, whatever. I don't know if I said that word right, but it was like this light bulb moment for everybody because he had had that conversation with his Portuguese speaking friends and, and had the boldness to say it. And everybody was like, oh yeah, to pass out, to distribute. Okay. Now we're starting to make sense of it. So that, that happened, I want to say maybe in March. And the next month, the mom emailed me to say, Hey, just want to see how Jay's doing. I've seen a real change in him at home. He came home and said, Mom, I, I want to practice this. I want to get better at this. Can we look this up online? Because I want to make sure I understand it. And I watched his results and his enthusiasm, his desire to participate, his sense of, of belonging in the classroom change because he was allowed 
And I think it was because he was allowed to use his Portuguese. There wasn't anybody saying you are only allowed to, because it was hard for him. English was hard for him. It was a difficult thing to communicate and express himself in. And I think maybe he thought, if I can't express myself in English, people are going to perceive me as dumb or stupid. You know how look, the mind of a third grader, an eight or nine-year-old, it's all connected. So it was really powerful for me to see how that one tiny thing, just allowing, just allowing those conversations to happen. He was more invested and he yep. wanted to stay invested. Yes, I, I agree completely. And I hear from a lot of a lot of listeners just asking questions, you know, like my ELLs aren't engaged with this or they don't have interest in it. And I think, you know, just that short story you shared is so powerful because if we put ourselves in their shoes and they're in an environment where we say, you know, English only, English only, imagine how defeating that is to these students who are learning a new language. So I love that, you know, because what you're saying is not, okay, they just speak all the time in Portuguese. It's, you know, that's how it is in our classroom. You're not saying that either. You know, I think that the way that you've worded that is, okay, in our classroom, let's use our common language that, or like the language of the school when we respond to each other so we all can understand. I think that that's a great way to encourage that participation in English, but giving them those different opportunities to have those discussions, to read something in their native language, to discuss it as a group and really kind of understand it, comprehend it, and then switch it over so they can respond as a class in a common language. And I love how you, you know, that also helped that home connection, which we're all asking, how do we build this home connection? Well, the same with parents. If parents are not English speakers, they're not going to feel comfortable coming in. I mean, I've shared about my story of being a, a parent, you know, here as a second language learner. And even though I can speak Spanish pretty well, it still is very intimidating to go into a school and as an adult and, you know, not know the common language or speak with other parents. So it's very intimidating. And so what a great way to encourage parents to work with their students at home and, and even just having those discussions in their native language is so powerful so that they can come back and, you know, make connections to their home culture, make connections to what's going on and then relate it to what's happening in the classroom. So I just love those examples. Incredibly powerful. Yeah. Really, really powerful. I, 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 and, and to me, it takes me back to like the power of the school and how schools can really be that place that helps make those connections. Here's a family that's living in a brand new country that's had to flee, you know, probably from Syria. And they and they're still, you know, um, experiencing maybe residual trauma from from that experience. And you know, now I can express that with my child and share it with them and talk about it. And they are talking about that at school. And now I feel connected to the school. And now I know mm -hmm. what's happening at the school. Yeah, so incredibly powerful. And I think I love the idea of shifting. Just this mindset in the state, sometimes it's a sentiment of like, you know, if you know English, that's you're you're smart or that's what we all need to learn is English. And you see these poor students who are just like, 
want to disregard their native language, you know, poor in the aspect of like, they just are like, I don't want anything to do with my native language. I want to just be like all the other kids. And so imagining just, see, you know, seeing your classroom of here's a group of French speakers, here's a group of Portuguese speakers, here's a group of Spanish speakers. I know when I worked there too, our English speakers actually were like, bummed that they didn't know another language they were it really motivated them of like wow all these other students know languages like i want to learn another language instead of this oh well we speak english and so everyone's going to speak you know that's a language learned so it really did shift just kind of that sentiment as we look at languages of wow that's amazing that this is a culture that you know another language that's supported that's welcomed and it helps all the kids want to continue to learn that language so i love i love that so much True. And your comment actually makes me think of one quote from the, the case study book that I was using in my master's class that, that really talks about that in terms of identity and how people view language. It says, which is intrinsically linked to students' identities and the ways in which young people perceive the educational value of their home language. Languaging in the classroom then has a unique impact on students' sense of belonging to their learning environment. Students from traditionally oppressed groups, including racial and linguistic communities, often do not see reflections of themselves in schooling. However, through translanguaging, a teacher brings reflections of all students' language practices and cultural backgrounds into the classroom. So everybody has value. And you don't see English as like as like the supreme language, like this is the best language to be speaking. It, it puts value back on, on the fact that I speak Pashto or I speak Urdu. And that's important for all these different reasons. Exactly. I love that. All right. We're running short on time here. So why don't you share with us if there are teachers that are interested in getting started in translanguaging, where, what would you recommend for them to just kind of, what's a quick way that they can kind of get their put their feet in the water. You know, maybe what I should do is I should share with you the links and they can go. Okay. Do you put those things yep, in your We can put those in the show yeah. notes. So there's a couple of guides that Leah Garcia and her team have put together. And so those guides can be really helpful. This book I highly recommend it's called Translanguaging with Multilingual Students. And it's by Ophelia Garcia and Tatiana Klein. It's full of, it's, it's, there's some academic parts, but it's full case study. And so you can kind of get an idea of how it, it works if you're interested in reading about that. I'm sure there's tons of YouTube videos about, you know, observing teachers using translanguaging strategies or even talking about it. I know Ophelia Garcia does have a few videos out there talking about it and its impact. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. That's great. That and I think I too, start. you know, encouraging all of our listeners, I know that in the States, there's still that sentiment sometimes of English only. And and this could be an opportunity for you to, you know, go deeper in this if this is a topic that's interesting you. And really advocating for your students and their identity to be, you know, kept in the school and to, for the school to be a place where they really thrive and and grow in both their lang- native language and in English. So this is a great opportunity to try things out and see how it goes and don't be afraid. You know, I think a lot of the fear that I hear from many, and I would have the same fear is, well, what if I don't understand what they're saying? What if they just get off track? You know, do you, have you felt that when you've kind of let this go of, okay, sure. Talk in your native language. I mean, 
Definitely, definitely. But you know, teachers know when kids are no longer talking about, you don't have to be, especially when they're very young, you know, when they've gone sideways. But a really quick and easy way to do that is to actually just, especially if it's a, you know, like small group conversation, just say, hey, who can summarize what you've been talking about here? And if it doesn't feel like it's the depth that you're looking for, okay, make sure you're staying on track. We can't have these kinds of groups if you're not actually focused on what we're talking about. But also when it comes to, you know, other strategies, like allowing a student to express part of their assessment in, a, in their first language, or there's plenty of resources out there that actually you can use, even using your camera. Now you can translate something by just holding your camera over what's written and it will translate it for you. Or finding a colleague or going back to the parents and saying, what exactly does this say? You know, that sort of thing. So I don't think that that should hold a teacher back from, from and, and again, if it's student-centered, then we, we can do that. It might, you know, we like to control things. I know <laughs> we're educators. Teachers like to be in control of those things, but for the purpose of allowing a child to express themselves and access the content. I think it's possible. Definitely. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Tevia. This was so helpful. I, I want to get into your classroom and hear how this works. So maybe we'll do our own little YouTube video once you get back. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, we will connect those things in the show notes and okay. thanks so much. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done for you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.